You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time for a Thursday Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tim Leonard and Tyler Rocky actually convening Wednesday late night, recording after Elijah Hughes was drafted, number 39, to what we thought was originally the New Orleans Pelicans. But of course, Ty, it's so outdated, these trades. And, and I know. Now it looks like they just need to do Utah it right. Jazz. You know, I'm trying to think yeah. back to the Malachi Richardson draft. I remember, I, so I was at the Malachi draft. and Was that in Chicago? Got, no, it was in New York City. And okay. he had the, I think he was picked by the Raptors, if I remember correctly. And then immediately got uh his king's hat right away or i forget who he was picked by but he got the king's hat when he was walking through the tunnel if i remember correctly so i don't know why they don't just keep everyone in the loop everyone knows these deals are quote-unquote done so whatever the other thing is you you see the news come out on twitter like five minutes before they get to it in the broadcast yeah and then they talk about it two picks ahead of everyone all night long (laughs) i mean the guy's a machine all these insiders machines do, yeah, do we give him? But, does he get any uh any scoop standings points? Oh, I mean that's kind of unfair. He, I is think the, we have to give Woj. Give him one, give him one, and give that's him two all he's for gonna the trade. Get, so I guess it doesn't two matter. Two for the trade. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Elijah Hughes, he co-leader with the Bundo right now. Right, right. I feel like someone else is is got to be getting up there. We probably have to retabulate that. We we probably have missed a couple, but. Anyway, uh, Elijah Hughes goes 39. We, we hit it right on the head. We said 39 and a half. If you listen to our preview podcast, by the chair, that yep. was, yeah, that was our over under. We both had the under and we won fake money on that. If, if that was actually a real prop in Vegas, I didn't see anything out there that was actually real, but we tabulated all the mock drafts and averaged it out. And it was like 39, 40 was his average, depending on what site you looked at. So it went about how I expected in terms of where he would get picked. I think we both thought he should have gone a little bit higher and that's maybe Syracuse bias, but also it's just like, we really think that he is going to be one of the more successful Syracuse guys to come out of the program in a while. And in a program that admittedly has kind of struggled to translate to the next level of recent times, really. Yeah, And he went ahead of some notable names too. I mean, he went a, a couple picks ahead of, uh, what was it, Jordan Wara, he went ahead of, he went ahead of Cassius Stanley. I mean, he was going ahead of a number of notable guys, which I think is worth pointing out that NBA teams were pretty high on a guy like Elijah Hughes. Yeah, so we will get into Elijah Hughes, and then uh, later on in the show, we'll do one of our 10 thoughts for basketball and previewing the season. We will debate who will lead the team in scoring this season, and as you kind of teased yesterday, there's kind of three options even if you want to be all in on Alan Griffin. So we'll get to that topic later. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. Please leave a review, subscribe, all that stuff helps us out. But you mentioned it. He was actually, by my count, I think I'm doing this right. He was the fifth guy taken off the board out of the ACC. You had two Florida State guys, which is pretty amazing. Patrick Williams goes number 40 or bowls. Goody tweeted out that Florida State over the last, what is it now, four or five years has eight first round draft picks, which I think is the most of, I, I, let me find the tweet, but uh, Florida State's had a very impressive run of draft picks. Yeah. And Patrick Williams was the sixth man at Florida State. He goes number four. I saw some people comparing it to Dion Waiters. I was thinking the same thing. Hopefully it's more, for my sake, me being the Bulls fan here. Yes. Hopefully right. it's more Devin Booker than Dion Waiters. I'll leave it there. <laughs> 
Well, Waiter's had a pretty good career. He's just, you well, know. Not, don't, had, don't kill the guy. No, he's I know. Done. I know. I mean, he won a title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Two. I mean, he, he was going to win one no matter what, so. That's right, yeah. So, anyway, after Williams, it was Devin Vassell, good 3 and D guy from Florida State, number 11. Cole Anthony, number 15. And then Vernon Carey was the first Duke guy off the board, number 32, a second-round pick. There were no first-round Duke picks. No lottery picks from Duke, Kentucky, or UNC. Kind of a weird draft in that sense. And then it went to Hughes. And as you said, Trey Jones goes 41 after him. Jordan Wara, I think, was 44, 45. But I think it was 45, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, so, 45. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hughes, fifth guy off the board in the ACC, that probably would have been better than maybe you would have expected to kind of leapfrog some of those Duke guys that were probably projected a little bit higher than him and mock drafts but what do you think of the fit in going to the utah jazz well okay to backtrack on my my florida state stat oh, right yeah um patrick williams being drafted at number four overall was has uh what is that fsu's up to 10 nba draft picks since 2010 and then of course they had vassell a couple picks later so that's 11 since 2010 which is eighth nationally over that period so they've done a pretty uh. good job of producing pros lately Anyway, uh, as for Hughes, when you've got a guy, he's he's now going to to Utah. First of all, I would have loved to see him, I think, a little more in New Orleans. First, because of the fact that he could chirp Zion every single day at practice for the 75-foot yes. bender he threw around and ultimately making that. But I think it's interesting because Elijah was the second wing off the board. Now, say what you want about Tyler Bay. Is he truly a wing or is he just a short big guy? I mean... That's pretty impressive. I think that's a lot. I, I expected him to be not the second wing off the board in the second round. Would you agree with in that? In the second round. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of the way the NBA is heading. And I'm I'm sitting here as a Celtics fan. They took Peyton Pritchard at 26, and I kind of scoffed a little bit because I, I liked guys like Desmond Bain. And obviously, selfishly, I would have loved to have seen Elijah there, but I thought that would have been a little crazy if he went that high, just based on the mock drafts that we were seeing. I, I think he deserve to go at 26 but yeah I it seems like the NBA just when we get down to the playoffs every year it is wings 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 and it's these guys that are athletic enough to guard multiple positions and that's what Elijah is and people have concerns about his defense because it's Syracuse and he didn't get a chance to showcase his man-to-man skills but I think you and I saw enough of him and you see some man-to-man principles in the zone anyway that if you're a wing in the NBA, I, I really don't see why these wings don't go higher. It's almost like, why are we still drafting running backs in the top 10 in the NFL? There's these trends that I feel like even fans have started to pick up on more than GMs and owners a little bit. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. And I'm the obviously, this is way different than picking a running back in the first round. But I think the, the overall philosophy that you're bringing up there is the the right sort of idea. I know with Utah... They were probably looking for more of a a big in that second round. So I was a little surprised that they were going to go out there and try and get someone like an Elijah Hughes. That's why I I don't have the Utah roster memorized here. But just looking at some of the needs, I know a lot of people were floating. Because they they had a pick late in the first round. And then they also had the 38th pick. So the pick before Elijah, which obviously ended up getting traded, I believe, in in this deal. But... I was a little I was a little surprised that uh, Utah was the team that wanted Elijah Hughes just because of the fact that you probably 
could have used some some like true point guards and, and maybe something to to go alongside Rudy Gobert. I know that one of the big fits for them would have been a guy like Isaiah Stewart, who of course once upon that? a time was very very Syracuse linked. So I was a little surprised that Utah was the team that ultimately ended up with him. Yeah, and real quick, Troy Weaver went and grabbed Isaiah Stewart from, you know, he's got the intel from Mike Hopkins. And yeah, they were even bringing that up on the, the draft broadcast, too. Yeah, Woj brought it up, but at 16, that was kind of early. But Troy Weaver was, he was making moves tonight. Yeah. I think they had a pretty good draft overall. They got Killian Hayes, and then later on they got Sadiq Bey, who was kind of a, a slider that many people saw going a little bit higher. So overall, it seemed like the Pistons and Troy Weaver was was a big name and. And a draft that really kind of fell flat in terms of trades and moves. And there was kind of this appeal, as there is every draft night, that, oh, maybe the Warriors are going to trade down or whatever. And it didn't really happen. And that kind of is how it usually goes, honestly. But you get that talks. And then it was really just the Pistons who made moves. And Troy Weaver was, you know, first year on the job, first time being a GM, came in sort of swinging. It was cool to see. Right. So as for Elijah Hughes with the Jazz, you look at some of the complementing parts there. You've got a Mike Conley who can facilitate. Obviously, you've got one of the big budding stars in Donovan Mitchell. And then you've got a pretty solid front court with a guy like like Rudy Gobert. So Elijah's going to be a guy, obviously not probably going to be a starter for at least a couple years. But there could be opportunity there. Now that I'm looking through it a little bit more. They not do a lot of wings. Boyan yeah, Bogdanovich. But outside of that... He'll probably slot in a little more towards that two role, I would imagine. I, I mean, he, he'll be a, a backup to Joe Ingles, and he's going to be a guy. He'll give you defense. He'll give you shooting, and that's all you can really ask for in today's NBA. All right, guys, we're getting closer and closer to the weekend, which means more sports games and more time to reset and just chill and lay on the couch and have Coors Light by your side. Crack open a Coors Light. Have the mountains blue, watch Syracuse on Friday night, whatever the occasion. Always great to have Coors Light on your side. It's the only beer out there that is literally made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. I was watching the draft last night as we're talking about. I had Coors Light right by my side. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Got to tell you about Built Go from the same people that brought you the best protein bar on the market. Built Go is the premier workout gel. You know, everyone faces a mental or physical wall throughout the day. Break through it with Built Go. Justin Knight, one of our favorite guys to have on this podcast, he just got me on a little bit of a running program, and I use it before my runs every single day. It's the healthy replacement for your energy drink. Built Go comes in one and a half ounce packages, which means you can put it in your briefcase, golf bag, or even in your pocket so you're ready to break through whatever wall life throws your way. Think of your favorite energy drink without the crash or unhealthiness. Bilko comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, or chocolate mint. It combines energy and collagen protein, which means it ignites a better day for you while also promoting joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. It literally makes you look better. Right now, visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off your next order. Again, go to BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. We talked about 
what would be a good fit for him on the show yesterday. And I kind of just said it's high culture teams. I want to see him go to a team that is, you know, in a winning environment. And Utah's a very high culture yep. team. Quinn I know, Snyder, phenomenal yeah, coach. I know some people might be like, yeah, well, they haven't really won a ton. Well, you got to keep in mind that Utah is not the easiest place to win. And they've had a track record of never really tanking, never really being like underachievers. They've always, if anything, overachieved. And you take a look at a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who came out out of Louisville and you know, we saw him throw down some dunks against Syracuse, so you could see the potential a little bit, but people had concerns about his jump shot, about his defense, and he's obviously a guy that has spent a lot of time in the gym and, and really worked on his craft, but Utah has developed his shot, and you know, he's done it too, but Utah seems to have a good track record of helping guys sort of take a step up and develop, and there's, you can't say that for every single team. The Raptors are really good at it. There's these certain teams that just seem to have it down. Miami has built a great culture in the draft and other teams like we, we kind of, you know, we're riffing on the Kings <laughs> a little bit and how they've been sort of a tough place for Syracuse guys of recently. But I'm just glad that he went to a good culture. Cause I think as a second round guy, that is, you can't overstate how important the fit in the culture is for a guy like Elijah Hughes, because I mean, look at Utah. They've made the playoffs the last four years. Okay. Yeah. That's and awesome. they're a team in the West. That- in the West, yes. In the West, no less. And on top of that, they have 44-plus wins each of these last four years, and the 44 came this year when they missed out on, what was it, 10 games? So that that's another thing you have to take into account here is the fact that they have been a model of consistency in the NBA for the last four years. Now, they haven't been great, great, but they've gotten to the Western Conference semis a couple times, and they've been competitive. I mean, they played an amazing series against Utah, so... I'm excited to see what happens with it. You know what else I just thought of, Tim? Are we going to get to go on the Bosses podcast now? Oh, David Locke. David Locke, the man who is (laughs) the mastermind, the the death star of this this entire Locked On operation. He is the voice of the Utah Jazz and hosts the Locked On Jazz podcast. So if you want any jazz thoughts, go check out his show because he'll probably be talking about Elijah Hughes and uh, the after- shocks of draft night in uh the the jazz organization yeah i was actually listening to another lockdown podcast kind of getting ready for the draft chad ford's big board and i know you know the lockdown all they've been doing the lockdown live stuff tonight which has been cool to follow and, and see all the other hosts from the lockdown network jump on but chad ford had hughes in his second round mock that i was listening to today going number 44 to your bulls and i got excited for a little bit because i was like oh man that would be great for Tyler and also just the number 44 Syracuse jokes and how fitting yeah. it is. And I'm almost happy it didn't happen. I would, yeah. was not going to look forward to those. Right. And then also it, you know, if he goes earlier, it's more money for Elijah and he deserved to go higher than maybe even 39. But I think once you get to the 30, 35 range, it's all about the fit. It's all about culture and Syracuse fans should be happy about where he's going Pelicans would have been kind of fun because they're a young upstart team. And, you know, for about two minutes, I was thinking about him and Zion and sort of that type of scenario. And then I thought about Utah and and Utah's a pretty good consolation or a pretty good team to get traded to. Absolutely. I I like the fit. He's going to be a competitive guy. And I think he's going to bring a lot to this Jazz team, a team that has some history, too. I mean, just think about the consistency. I mean, Jerry Sloan was there for how many years? 
I mean, seriously. I mean, the guy started. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Too he many started, to count. <laughs> he started in '89 and then he stepped down in 2010, 2011. So he was there over 20 years. So, and that's that's a head coach. You just don't see that that model of consistent. That's the like Greg Popovich levels right there. And he was consistently going to the playoffs and and being competitive. And he even went to some NBA Finals. And unfortunately, he would run into Michael Jordan in those NBA Finals. So. It was it was just one of those things that I you're seeing that I mean they've had what three coaches in the last thirty or so years now so pretty solid that that's that's a rock solid thing and imagine this too Elijah Hughes is going from playing for Jim Beheim Mister Curmudgeon old dude and now he's playing for hipster skinny Gene Quinn Snyder that <laughs> right there is is what I'm looking forward to the culture shock that he's going to run into in Utah. Yeah, and it's just a cool story to see Elijah go from what was an unheralded transfer. Got to give Alan Griffin, someone like that, some inspiration or other guys that come to this throughout the Syracuse program. The other thing on Elijah going to Utah, I saw you tweeted this out that yep. it's Salt Lake City, and he's been there before. He's, he's had played success at the there. Utah One Jazz game, yep. Arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 25 points in the NCAA tournament, lost to Baylor. I think it was a career high at the time for him. It you was, were at yeah. that game. I right? was at that game. It was at Vivint Smart Home Arena, which is uh, one of the more peculiar names. But it's a it's a very nice arena. Big fan of it. I remember going through all the, the little media back entryways, and there's a, uh, the place where they had, like, the, the food. There's, like, a piano. It's like I feel like I'm in a, a swanky little, like, nightclub but not like a night night club it's like a like a high class like we're all buttoned up and and like we're sipping our our wine with our pinkies out that sort of nightclub yeah that's cool utah is a great place i've i've literally been outside the eastern time zone like a handful of times in my life and for whatever reason utah is one of those places i want a, a family type vacation once when i was a little bit younger and so much stuff to do there. I, I don't know. I, I think it's an underrated part of... Uh, admittedly, I just told you I haven't been to many places on the West Coast to compare it to. But Utah, to me, I don't know what your experience was out there. But I feel like it's maybe at first glance, oh, like Utah, that's going to be a culture shock. And that's going to be a big change for Elijah. And maybe not top of your list in terms of he's probably hoping for something closer to home, I would guess. But Utah is a pretty cool place to kind of start your career. Utah, when I was out there, you know, the biggest thing I was looking forward to was seeing what is mountain time like? What What is mountain time? Yeah. And not going to lie, kind of underwhelmed. So just just, <laughs> just going to put that out there. Kind of underwhelmed on the mountain time front. Everything's right, just well, a touch early. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nice, but you're, you're probably right. It's it's overhyped, if anything. It's one of those things that can't really be underrated. The, Amazing the views about. out in Utah. I'll say that. Amazing yeah. views. All right, let's get into one of our 10 thoughts today. We've had kind of a busy week. We are going to get into some football discussion tomorrow. We will have your full Louisville preview tomorrow. But don't worry, we haven't quit on the football team. We're just taking a little pause through the bye week. Yeah, we had the bye week. We need a cleanse, a football cleanse. I think everyone needs a little football cleanse. Well, I'm excited for Louisville. I I think... You know, we'll get into it tomorrow, but I think there's a chance against Louisville based Ooh, on sort of seeing okay. seeing the Cardinals and, and some of the things they've had happen to them this week. Anyway, let's talk about this 10 thought. It's who will lead the Syracuse team in scoring this year. If you missed any of our 10 thoughts, you can go back and check them out. It's basically 
one topic to kind of debate and discuss before we get into the season, which is now, if you're listening to this on Thursday, it's eight days away, technically, if Bryant stays put on that Friday night, that Black Friday. I saw Goody tweeted today, Matthew Gutierrez, that uh, Jim Beheim's doing good and has no symptoms still. And also, they're still very much up in the air on that Bryant game. But it seems like maybe we'll know more information in the coming days. Anyway, who do you think will lead this team in scoring this year? And, and you said yesterday there's three options. So you, you're pretty high on Alan Griffin. So I think let's lay out the case for each guy. All right. Okay. We start with, let's start with Buddy Beheim. The, and it's fitting that we're doing this portion of the 10 thoughts on the day after Elijah Hughes gets drafted because he was the guy who was the leading scorer a year ago. And now you've got a lot of points to fill up. So, Let's start with the guy, who, the the returning leading scorer, and that is Buddy Beheim. The case for Buddy, well, he's probably had as good, if not the best setup in terms of training. Who your trainer is, he worked a lot with Devo over the offseason. The access to facilities, he's got a basketball court in his basement that he can play in whenever the hell he wants to. And on top of that, he is coming back with, he's going to be getting a number of more shots, and he's also going to be getting, uh, I would imagine the... In terms of the spacing, because of the fact that there are still three solid offensive pieces on this team, he's still going to be getting the same quality of looks. So there's your case for Buddy, is that he's going to be just a little bit ahead of everyone else because of the offseason that he's had. Yeah, so my pick is Joe Girard, and I think I've voiced that before on this podcast. I don't know if it's controversial. Like, what do you think the consensus is? And we could even throw this out on our Twitter page. Yeah, we should. As a poll. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think it is Gerard because, and we've kind of talked about this before, who was the alpha on this team when you saw Elijah? Like, Elijah Hughes was the alpha last year, right? Yeah. But who was the alpha when Elijah Hughes would go down with an injury? Like we saw against NC State, Miami. When he was down, it was Joe Gerard. And now that he's going to have a whole season, he's he's got a season under him now, right? He's kind of not figured out what the college basketball is all like, but he's up to speed with it. Now that he's got that experience underneath him and he's got that alpha mentality, like he was the killer. And and you produced Devo's podcast, The Field of 68. Yeah. And he was talking with GMAC about how, he, how GMAC knew that Devo was going to be that guy. It's because he was a killer, right? If I'm remembering mm-hmm. this correctly. And that's yeah, kind of a what funny story. JG3 is too. Like JG3, I think, is the killer. I don't know if Buddy's a killer yet. Well, I, I think Buddy is also an extremely hard worker. That's what you always hear about yeah. him. And no, I, I'm not. That's not necessarily a bad thing that he's not a quote yeah. unquote killer out there. It's just JG3's kind of like got that mentality of I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get this bucket. Whereas Buddy, he kind of lets the game come to him. He's uh, the more cerebral guy. The way I'd put this is, and I keep going back to the the games from last year when Elijah was down, and that was Miami at the end of the year, last regular season game. Buddy goes 4 for 15 from the field, 2 for 10 from 3, 12 points. And then it was NC State where Elijah, right before warm-ups, was ruled out. Joe Girard had a career high, I think it was 33 if I'm not mistaken that game. Buddy goes 4 for 15 again from the field, 26% and two for eight from three, and has only 10 points against NC State. So in those games, we kind of got a glimpse of no Elijah Hughes, how will this offense look? Because it's basically all the same players. You just had Alan Griffin and Kadari Richmond. Gerard had the ball in his hands a lot. He was the isolation guy. 
He was 28th percentile per Synergy Sports in isolation scoring last year, so that's an area that he needs to improve. But you figure it will only go up because, as you said, now he has a year under his belt, and he can take that freshman to sophomore jump that is customary to happening to guys like we saw Buddy. It happened to him last year, freshman to sophomore year. It's not an indictment on Buddy whatsoever. I think Buddy is going to have a good season, but he might have a better shot at making third-team All-ACC. I just think Gerard, if he had to pick one, would have a better shot of making second-team All-ACC. And if Syracuse is really good, it'll be because Gerard took a step that we didn't really foresee or the national perspective didn't really foresee it happening. And let me throw this at you too, okay? Joe Gerard shot 32% from three last year. Do you think that number's going up or down? It has to go up because I'm not just, I, mean, I don't think it's going up. I think it's going way up. Like I'm talking oh, yeah. 37%. Yeah, okay. That's the number yeah. I think it can get to. All right. Next, next little tidbit for you here. He shot a little under three free throws per game last year. Do you think that number is going up or down? He'll have the ball in his hands more. So he'll be attacking more. And he's been working with GMAC on kind of using his body. He gained some weight. I, I really think Gerard and He's a 90% has, free throw shooter too. Yeah. So, <laughs> and honestly, he was like 95 for most of the year and actually kind of struggled a little bit, all relative, of course, to fall to 90 by the end of the year, which was what, like still top 10 nationally almost, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So all of this, and, and obviously Elijah's departure is going to be a huge part of why his number continues to climb. And that's why I think Joe Girard is going to be the guy that leads this team in scoring next year is because... The minutes, we saw what the minutes were last year, 33 minutes per game. That it, it really, in reality, was more like 35 minutes per game because of the fact that he didn't start right away. But his field goal percentage wasn't great last year, okay? He shot the ball 35% from the field. Not great. Shooting about 11 shots a game. But I just expect those percentages to rise because I, I still see that there is going to be spread out attention between him buddy and a and uh alan griffin and on top of that he's just going to be a better player next year this this is i i see him being in the conversation for most improved and he's coming off a season where he was already pretty good so yeah i i do think it's going to be joe gerard that leads this team in scoring next or this upcoming season a week from today or a week from tomorrow rather and it's because of the fact that there is so much pie so much slice of the pie to give out and i just think he's gonna be the one that wants to eat he's the hungry one on this team gerard by the way was ninth most points in a freshman season since 1992 at syracuse i think he was 13.4 if i'm remembering correctly right around 13 points per game Beheim was right around 15 points per game so you know he would have to kind of leapfrog Beheim in that category the other thing is Gerard is just a more fearless shooter and almost to a fault at times, but right. I'm more comfortable in thinking that he will be chucking up more shots than Beheim, which will probably lead to him just getting more points too. He probably will be more or less efficient than Beheim, honestly, even though I agree his, his numbers should go up because we know what type of shooter he is. And 32% was just sort of freshman nerves probably originally and then getting used to that big jump in competition that he went from, from playing against basically you and me to ACC competition last year. So we didn't really discuss this before, but we've been doing the prop shop bets and season preview bets. How should we handicap 
this. And we can throw Alan Griffin in it too. What, yeah, well, what do you real think quick, I just want to lay out a case for Alan yeah, Griffin. Yeah, go for and it. And the case for Alan Griffin is as follows. He just goes out there and he proves that he's going to get 35 minutes a night and he's still going to shoot almost 40% from three. I think that's the the way he gets it. And yeah. I don't know if that's going to be enough, honestly. Like, he's going to have to cut into those shots too. He'll probably be... He'll probably need 10 shots a game to, and, and while shooting about 40% from three to lead the team in scoring. And again, you don't have to lead the team in scoring to be the most effective player out there. I mean, we just saw Patrick Williams, who was the sixth man of a team, go fourth overall in the draft. There's ways to provide value to teams while not leading them in scoring. So I think Gerard ultimately finishes leading in scoring, but Griffin, Griffin could be in second. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out. The other thing worth mentioning, Richmond, if he's really good, could cut into Gerard's minutes a little bit at the point guard spot. That's fair, yeah. Or could cut into either of Allen or Buddy's minutes, too. Yeah, that's true. Um, Okay, so do we make Gerard the favorite in this bet? I think you make Gerard the favorite, and... Again, I kind of look at it like the Syracuse defense for football heading into the season where we knew, okay, the the secondary was going to be the best part of the team. The defensive line heading into the season we thought was going to be second, but we told you don't be surprised if the linebackers end up being the second best unit on the team. Yeah. And that's kind of the jump that I feel like we could see with Griffin and Buddy. And that's not to take, I mean, that just means in my eyes that Syracuse has found three really solid scoring options. It's not, but oh, Buddy's gone out and having a terrible season. No, it's there's someone who has stepped up and has raised their level of game, and then the team as a collective is better for it. All right, so I'm almost torn. I kind of want to make it so that it's tough for us to make a decision. But well, how about let's, this? Let's, let's change say... this. Let's change this, okay? We're okay. in agreement that it's going to be Joe Girard, right? Yeah. Let's set the number. 17 points per game, over-under. I'd say over. If he's going to lead the team, you're probably getting to 18 what number? points per game. Okay, you're, so you're saying 18 points per game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair over-under, but yeah. w- what would you say to 17? I guess I would probably also go over. So if we... Let's say I set it at 18. Where where are you sitting? I That one I'm torn on. <laughs> I might go under because you expect that Dolajai and Garrier will score more than last year, and even Sidibe maybe. And then you've got Richmond scoring some. So I know you lose a lot in Elijah, but it, you know, you go down the list, Griffin, Richmond, an uptick in Dolajai. Like you can get to Elijah's 19 points pretty quickly. And Gerard and Beheim were at 15 and 13 last year. So I'd say 17 and a half, I'd go over 18 flat. I'd go under. Probably, yeah. It feels like a 17, seven year. Yeah. Doesn't that feel about <laughs> right. And listen, yeah. how, okay, let's do this now over under. Two and it a half. Feels like 30 a seven, point games. Sorry, that's just a. Fun, I've never heard so. It feels like a <laughs> yeah. seventeen seven year. It's just we're really getting into. We're, the we're getting into the it. yeah. We're yeah. Ken Palm, take take notes. Um, over under two and a half thirty point games for him. Uh he had one last year, and then he had four or five twenty point games. Yeah, I, I'm looking. Um, he had a couple twenty four spots. Two and a half. Uh, or he had one twenty four. So yeah, he had. I would say two. Two 30-point games. Two 30-point games, okay. I mean, think about Battle was excellent, and he had, like, that 40-point game, but, you know, it's, it's pretty rare to get to 30 in a 40-minute college game. It is, yeah. 
but it, it I mean, he showed that he could do it as a freshman. So, yeah, and, and and he did it while going one for ten from three. So he really probably should have had what forty something in that game. He should have yeah. been yet another uh, Syracuse player to drop forty on NC State. So right. <laughs> I wouldn't rule that. I mean, he's going to get the minutes to do it. He's Are you gonna going get the over? Minutes to do it. Um, I'm with you. It's probably two. Okay, it's All probably right. two. But so same picks for us. There. I mean, he could All he right. could get hot against, like you know, he's going to get mouthy with Notre Dame, right? So oh, yeah, and, and don't they have and Notre Hub's Dame twice back. this year? Yeah, and, and yeah. Prentice Hub's back too. Do they have Notre Dame twice this year? Am I remembering I that think, correctly? I think they do. They had yeah. Notre Dame twice last year, and if they do, I mean, right there, that might be two right there, and then you got to go find another game. To, Let's to make get... that a rivalry. I, I miss the the old Big East rivalries and. I know, like, you can make a case that Duke and everything, but it's a little different because Duke has Carolina yeah, well, and they've got NC yeah. State. And, they they yeah, need to find, to like, a that, private but... school rivalry, and I guess that's NC or that's Notre Dame. Yeah. Because it's not Duke. Duke Duke's, right. Duke's got their thing going on. Um, it's like well, GMAC used to take it to Notre Dame because it was the Catholic school, and I, right. I miss those days. Give, yeah. give, give me some of that. Give me Hub and Gerard going at it again, and, and let's get some some real rivalry and, and some background there to build it up. But all right, that, that's going to do it for our Thursday podcast. Tomorrow on the show, all football, and actually it's going to be dropping later on today. If you're listening on Thursday, we'll get it out hopefully early afternoon Thursday as quick as we can so that you have ample time because this is a Friday night game for Syracuse against Louisville. So we will have previews, picks, matchups to watch, everything you need to know about Louisville tomorrow. But thanks for listening today. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. For Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.